Anybody ever filled out or completed maybe the beginning of a year or a new season in life, sort of a life plan? Anybody got like a five or ten year plan? Anybody? Anybody ever done that? Y'all are just not planners, I guess, right? You gave up a long time ago. Uh, there's a guy that I follow on Twitter and I've read his stuff and he's he's got this thing about creating a life plan and I, and, and I went through it at one point. I just gave up. I just stopped halfway through and this doesn't work. <clears throat> My life... Uh, was very, very um, predictable, I guess, at one point. I, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. My parents are both solid believers. I grew up in a wonderful church in southwest Louisville, Kentucky, in a little suburb called Valley Station. And uh, Valley Station is uh, is uh, it, it, a bunch of rednecks. I mean, that's that's where we, that's where we were. But I loved it. That was my family. It's my home. There's a lot of rednecks in my family. And so anyway, so that's who we were. Um, and so I, I kind of figured that growing up, I would always just live there in Valley Station. I mean, all my family did. I mean, nobody ever moved, and and that was just the way that it was. And and um, and then I went away to college. I was the first person, really, in my family to ever go away to a to a college and stay for all four years and graduate and all that. And, and then I came back and, and I decided I wanted to coach baseball. I was going to teach high school and coach baseball. And I got to do that for four years at the high school that I went to. And so I just came right back home. And then, then it, I, my goal with that was to eventually be the head coach at Pleasure Ridge Park High School. That was what I was going to do. I was, I was that guy, you know. And, and so it uh, turns out the coach who I played for and later coached for is still there. So it would have been a long time before that plan would have ever worked. And so anyway, so I, I, I thought, well, okay, Lord, that's not it. But, but I, I said, you know, hey, what if one day, someday I could be on staff at my home church? I mean, that would be incredible. And then that happened. And I was a youth pastor for four years at, at my home church and Loved it. A tremendous impact it had on my life. And, and, and then I got a phone call in early 2007, several years ago now. And I got a call from a guy named Mike who uh, was a member of my home church years before when I was growing up. And he had since moved to Atlanta. And he was part of a church. He was kind of on their advisory board, their elder board, if you want to call it that. And, and he called me and he said, hey, he said, you ever, you ever thought about doing something different? You know, about not being at your home church, basically, about not being in Southwest Louisville with all your family there. Have you ever thought about doing something different? And and I was, at the time, I was 26 and I was restless. And I thought, I, yeah, I have. Let me, you know, let's, actually, I was 29. Let's do something different. And, and I thought, well, this is going to be great. So we up and move our family to Atlanta, Georgia. And within several months, it didn't even take very long at all, we realized this is not going to work. It, it became obvious, uh, before it became obvious to me, I, I kind of, I guess I'm the person that doesn't want to believe something's not going to work. It became obvious to Nancy uh, within a month. She said, you're not going to stay here. I thought, well, okay, we just moved here, uh, you know. And then, then it began to become obvious to me. I had a conversation in April of 2008 with the pastor of the church. I was serving as what was called the next generation pastor, which was birth up through 12th grade. So I kind of handled all that for this, this new church that had just gotten started a few years before. And, and, uh, the pastor approached me. We were at a conference, a church conference, and I was just really struggling. I was not on board with the way the church was going, didn't agree with the way the pastor handled things and so on. It was just, you've been there probably in a, in a 
situation where you just, uh, God, I, I can't, I can't coexist here anymore. I can't do this. Uh, and for me, it was theological. For me, it was, it was fundamental. And so I, I had some major problems. So he approaches me and he says, he says, Hey, uh, you doing okay? <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I didn't want to talk about it. But here I am. I, I'm, you know, I pass him in the hallway of the hotel, and, and he kind of traps me. And he says, "You doing okay?" And I said, "No, I'm not." He said, "Well, let's let's go sit down and talk about it." Okay. So we sit down and we talk about it. And he and he, he asked me. He said, "What do you really want to do?" Basically, what's your life plan? What do you feel called to do? And of course, at that point, I think I don't have a clue. I mean, I don't know what I want to do. I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old. I'm lost. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I figured by now I'd have it all settled and everything would be perfect and and now all this. And, and you know, I told him, I said, well, I, I said, as best I can tell, I feel I feel like long term I feel called to, to pastor a church. You know, to, to to be in that role. And he said, Oh yeah, he said, I can see that. As the conversation went on, he said, and he said, We well, you know, don't you need to, to ask yourself, do you do you want to be a shepherd or do you want to be a CEO? Of a church, and as Ginger laughs, I kind of laugh too. I thought, what? He said, "If you want to be a shepherd of a church, he said, there's some little church out there somewhere that just wants you to do your their weddings and their funerals and pat them on the head." And he said, "You're ready for that. You go ahead." He said, "But you want to be a CEO and you lead a church like this, like the one he was talking about that he was at." He said, "You stick around. I'll train you, and we'll send you out. You man, it'll be incredible." He said, you take a week and you get back with me. Well, okay, let me go search the scriptures here for what the role of pastor is to be. Y'all know what the role of pastor is? It's not to be a CEO, right? It's to be a shepherd. So I didn't need a week, but I, you know, out of respect, I took a week and twiddled my thumbs until this meeting that I had with the pastor and the administrator of the church. And we sat down and they say, okay, what you going to do? I looked at him and I said, guys, I'm a shepherd. I mean, I, it's like, it's, I don't know what else you can be in the scripture. I'm like, you know, it's, why are we even, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? You know, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Well, the, the administrator, the executive pastor, his title was, he, he looked at me and he said, okay. He said, uh, we'll, we'll devise your exit strategy. <laughs> Like, uh, oh, oh, what does that mean? Yeah, that's exactly what it meant. You're fired. That's exactly what it meant. Exit strategy. I had a month. Uh, in that month, I, I, I they gave me no severance package. I was just sent packing. We had a brand new baby. Nora was a baby at the time. We had a new mortgage. Uh, we we were there with no job and nowhere to go. And and then through the process, there as you've been probably through this, if you've ever been let go from a position, there were humiliating moments where they. They say, okay, you, here's what you are to say to the youth that were in your youth group. And they scripted it. Here's 90 seconds is what you get with these kids. Here's what you were to say to the people that you've recruited and tried to bring on to help these kids. Here's the script and here's 90 seconds. And you probably dealt with those kind of moments. I sat there and I, you know, in that meeting and I think, what in the world just happened? Um, yeah, I just got fired. Um, <laughs> What? 
what did I do? What did I do wrong? I mean, why is this, why is this happening? And, and now what? My life plan was sideways. I mean, I was, it was, it was done. And, and of course, the story goes on and, and wound up, of course, coming here in, in August of that year and have been here ever since and praise God for his provision. But at that moment, I didn't know what to do. And I'm sure you've been there. You know, you look back on it and you think, well, okay, I see how things have worked out. But, man, in, the, in that moment, is that not, I mean, that's, that's tough, isn't it? If you've ever thought you had your entire life planned out and then something happened, or you figure you get, I was talking with someone earlier, you get to a particular stage of life and everything's supposed to be kind of settled, right? And then it just keeps throwing curveballs at you over and over and over again. It's in those moments where we face the decision, the choice of whether to fight for our own will or to submit and yield and surrender to God's will. And I don't think it's just in those moments, but certainly those moments highlight it. I think it's every single day. And we know the Bible tells us that we are not to fight for our own will, but we are to surrender, to submit, to yield to God's will. We know, but, but how do you know you're doing that? There, there's a story, a character in the Bible who I think is the perfect Old Testament illustration of someone who gave up the fight for his own will and simply yielded to say, all right, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this has happened, but I'm going to trust you as I move forward. The guy's name is Joseph. His story starts in Genesis 37. So if you want to turn there with me, we're going to cover Genesis 37 through 50 today. You ready? It's 1037. My timer says I got 20 minutes, 27, 26 seconds, 25 seconds. 20. Genesis 37 through 50 in 20 minutes. What are the odds? Anybody? Neil? Okay. We're going to look at Joseph's story. Great Bible character, lots of great Bible stories. We're going to look at it from, from sort of a 30,000 foot view, kind of an overview of his story, zeroing in on the beginning and the end, but looking at the moments in between to see what does it look like if you fight for your own will or if you submit, surrender, yield to God's will. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 37, look at verse 1. And here's what it says. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. Seventeen years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph, that's Jacob. Israel loved Jacob, that is. Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Because he said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. You, you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked? You really us? So they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this you've had, he said. Are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? 
His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph was about to see what God was going to do in his life. But there were some things that had to change. Some subtle things. Some things maybe that we don't first realize in ourselves. But I think Joseph had to come to the point where he was going to make a decision. Am I going to fight for my will or will I yield to God's will? Three characteristics really of of what does it look like when you're fighting for your own will. Uh, The first of which is it makes you selfish. Look, look at the, the description here about Joseph and his coat. Uh, chapter 37, verse 3. Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. If you know the story, you understand that, that Jacob had loved Rachel, who was the younger daughter. He, he had married the older daughter, and then he got to marry Rachel, and she eventually was able to have a child, and Joseph was her first child. And Jacob had loved Rachel and didn't love her sister as much. And it was, a, I mean, it was, you talk about like... You know, some Jerry Springer or something. I mean, this is perfect for that. I mean, this is Old Testament. Read Genesis. You got Jerry Springer. That's what. That's. I think that's where he took a show from. He just created according to that. But it was wild. And so Joseph is the favored son. He is the fortunate son of you. He's the guy that his dad loved the most, and his dad showed it. He made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Joseph had a coat that symbolized his favored status. Uh, Some translators and some commentators will say it wasn't the color of the coat, it was the length of the sleeves that symbolized that his sleeves were twice as long as the other brothers. You know what that meant? He was twice as favored and one day would be given twice as much an inheritance as all of them. And yet he's not the oldest. And in this society, it was the oldest that got the double portion. And so he wears it around. <laughs> Check out my coat, fellas. <laughs> you know what this means, don't you? Yeah, I might be 11 of 12, but I'm getting it all one day. All of it. Dad loves me. And I guarantee you, he didn't take that coat off. He wore that thing out. Joseph's coat brings jealousy, of course, from his brothers, resentment, scorn. And I think it brings out a little bit of the immaturity in him as well. I think we see just some subtle immaturity. A 17-year-old kid who's favored by his dad, probably a little bit selfish. The first couple of verses of this chapter talk about a bad report that he brings on his brothers. Joseph, maybe he was a good boy, but he was immature and probably a little naive, and he was a tattletale. And he comes running to daddy, and he says, hey, dad, these guys are lazy. They're not doing what you ask them to do. You know what? In fact, they did it the exact opposite way. He brings some sort of bad report to his dad, and he rats out his brothers. And so here's little brother talking about big brother to dad who already loves little brother more. And you see Joseph, whether he intends to or not, is kind of feeding this whole thing. And then he has these dreams. And the first dream, and they're all out in the field, and, and they're, they're picking some grain, and, and the, other, the other sheaves of grain come and bow down to his. And he goes and tells his brothers, who already hate him. And he tells them about this dream, and they're indignant, obviously. And then he has another dream. Now, what would you do at that point? 
you know, I would, I would I personally, I think if my brothers hated me for the first dream I told them about, I'd probably tell somebody else. But what does he do? 17 year old dude, doesn't know any better, immature, selfish, whatever. He runs again to his brothers and he says, hey, listen to this one. You thought the first one was good, man. Listen to this one. And so God gives him these dreams, but he's not sure exactly what to do with it. And he tells it to everyone, maybe naive, maybe immature, maybe a little bit selfish. But he's got, I think, as we see in here, a lot of growing up to do. If God is going to use him, some things are going to have to drastically change. God had a plan to use Joseph greatly, as we'll see. But that plan required God to crush him deeply. Joseph is then sold into slavery. Look at verse 12. His brothers had gone to pasture their flocks at Shechem. Joseph is sent. The brothers see him coming. And they say, here comes the dreamer. Let's take care of him. And they say, let's kill him. Now we've got the chance. One of his brothers steps in and says, no, 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 hold, 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 wait, 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 wait. Killing him, probably not the best thing to do. And it doesn't get us any money. Let's sell the dude into slavery to the guys that are coming by here in just a second. They toss him into a pit. Then they've got some people that pass by, some slave traders. They get him out of the pit. They sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. They sell him, and then they fake his death with the coat. Make no mistake, that was all on purpose. They rip that coat to shreds, and they pour the blood of an animal on it. They take it to their dad, and they say, Dad, we hate to to be the ones to tell you, but Joseph's dead. Actually, they don't even come out and say he's dead. They let their dad draw his own conclusions. And Jacob is crushed. As Joseph, unbeknownst to him, is sold into slavery and taken to a foreign land. Everything gone. We'll devise your exit strategy, Joseph. Everything gone. He's now a slave, then sold again, far from home. His dreams are gone. His life plan is in shambles. He's... He's gone. But I think this was the beginning of Joseph learning to yield to God's will instead of fighting for his own. And let me ask you the question. When things start to go sideways in your life, I mean, when stuff is not the way you want it to be, not the way that you had planned it to be, and it's totally different, and you get those words from that person about that thing, whatever that may be, You get that report. You get that decision someone has made for you. When things start to go sideways in your your life, do you assume that it's time to fight for your own will or to yield to God's? Is it time to fight or is it time to submit? Do Do you assume how in the world could this ever be part of God's plan for me? There's no way. Do you believe that everything should go the way that you want it to? I did. I know I did. Or do you take a step back, do you pray, and do you yield to whatever God might be doing in your life? If you're fighting for your own will, it's going to make you very, very selfish. A second thing that it will do is give you a desire for what is simply steady. I think you'll you'll see this as we look at the life of Joseph. Once he's sold into slavery, at this point, Joseph's life is anything but what it would and and probably should and could have been. He was the fortunate son. He was the golden boy. Nothing was going to happen to him. His dad was going to take care of him. And now, 
Nothing is going according to his dreams. Nothing seems to be happening the right way. And I, I, wonder, I wonder what Joseph thought when his dad gives him this coat, when he has these dreams. Man, everything's working out pretty good. I mean, better than I thought, actually. I, this is going to be incredible. I mean, it's just, you know, one step after another after another. I mean, it's, everything's going to just go the way that it should. Very steady fashion, maybe he thought things would work out. No interruptions, you know, no, no defeats, no problems, nothing in the way. Remember that Joseph's dreams came from God. They weren't things that he just thought of on his own. God gave him these dreams. And not only did he get the first one, but he got the second to confirm it. To say, yeah, this is actually from God and this is going to happen. And maybe you felt called to something. Maybe you've got some great plans in your life and you say, I don't got it. It's just going to work out, right? I mean, this is the way that it's going to go. I mean, one step, right? Boom, everything is just fine. And if God had called him to those dreams, if God has called you to a particular thing and put things in front of you, why would it not just work out? Isn't that the way God works? It's kind of what we want, at least if you're normal. We just kind of want things to work out. I'm that way. We all kind of want to have a comfortable life. To have things just progress in a steady, predictable path. The truth is, if we're honest, sometimes our desire for comfort, we looked at this last week, sometimes our desire for comfort is greater than our desire for God Himself. And when we are fighting for our own will, we want everything to be steady, everything to be predictable. In one sense, life, don't throw me any curveballs. Please, don't throw me any curveballs. I can hit the batting practice fastball. I can knock that one out of the park, but don't throw me a curveball because it's not supposed to go that way. Because after all, doesn't Jesus want me to have peace in life? To be happy? We all want this comfortable, steady, dreamy sort of experience with God. At least, that's what I thought I wanted. One in which God doesn't interfere except to get the obstacles out of my way. And we call down God to say, Lord, remove this obstacle from my path. And by the power of Jesus, I claim that it's gone. And you wake up the next morning and it's still there. Many of us follow the Lord as long as the path is straight and steady. Exactly the way we know it's going to be. And then we get confused. We get confused when it narrows. When it goes up and down and around in circles. You realize that Jesus never promised us that faith would be comfortable? Nor would it be, from our perspective, steady and predictable? Joseph was learning this because God had something else in mind for him. God wanted to use him greatly, but first he's going to crush him deeply. So if you're fighting for your own will, you're going to wind up selfish. This desire, this obsession with what is steady, and ultimately... It will lead you to being stunted. There's no way you guessed that one on the outline, by the way. No chance. Not a chance. You had S. That's it. So I got you. Are you still awake? Still guess? All right, here we go. This, This stunted nature of our faith is the result of us being selfish and our desire for steadiness. This is what Joseph would have been. Had he fought for his own will instead of yielding to God's will in his life. And this is what you and I will become if we don't follow Joseph's example. If we are never drawn out, if we're never pushed past where we are with Jesus right now, then our growth and our faith in him will be stunted. It will be muted. It will be immature. 
And ours will be a faith that is shallow and weak and based on the situation and easily defeated. If God never calls us and pushes us past where we are. We'll just remain emotionally and spiritually immature. Joseph, at some point, stopped fighting for his own will and simply yielded to God's will. And his growth in the Lord at that point was exponential. So that's what happens if you fight for your own will. You'll be selfish. This obsession with making sure everything goes exactly the way you want it to, and ultimately your faith will be stunted. But there's the flip side, and that is to yield or submit or surrender to God's will. And here's what happens, what you can expect. Instead of selfishness, you will learn dependence. Everything was taken from Joseph, as I said. His status was gone. He's no longer a son, but a slave. But do you know what the phrase that's used over and over in the story of Joseph as it goes along in his unfair circumstances? In some, some form, this, this is the way that it can be translated. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph over and over and over and over again. When he's sold by his brothers, the Lord is with him and he learns to depend on the Lord. When he's accused of sexual assault that he didn't do, the Lord is still with him and he learns to depend on the Lord. When he's thrown into a prison for that crime he didn't commit, the Lord was with him and he learns to depend on the Lord. When he's forgotten by people who said, I'll get you out of jail, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you. When he's forgotten by them, the Lord was with him and he learns to depend on the Lord. Had God not crushed Joseph and taken him to this point, he would have never learned to depend on God in the same way. It wasn't that he gave up on the dreams that God had have, that God had given him. But I believe now Joseph, as we enter the latter part of the story, Joseph is now dependent on God to make those dreams happen. Rather than, hey, let me tell you about my dreams. Now he's dependent on God. And as a man who was dependent on God, he was able to serve his master well. In fact, it was put in charge of all of his master's house. Because he depended on God, he was able to resist the temptation that this lady, his master's wife, brought to him. Because he depended on God, he was able to submit to unfair circumstances when he had no recourse otherwise. When it was told to him, we'll devise your exit strategy, he depended on the Lord. Because he depended on the Lord, he was able to serve the jailer well and gain favor and power even in the jail. Because he depended on the Lord when folks came to him to interpret dreams where once he would have said, hey, isn't this incredible? He just says, interpretations belong to God. Let me tell you what he has to say. And because he depended on the Lord, he was later able to speak boldly to Pharaoh when most folks would have said, I'm not going to say a word that he might not like. Through all that he faced, Joseph had the selfishness crushed out of him and he learned to depend on the Lord. And that is God's will for you and for me as well. When you yield to God's will, you'll learn dependence, but you'll also learn that God sometimes brings a delay. This is kind of how I think, I think we could probably say, all right, I'm dependent on the Lord so long as it happens when I need it to. So long as he comes through when I want him to. Joseph likely imagined how things would play out. He's got this coat. He's got these dreams. He's got this dad that loves him. He's, you know, he's going to rule everything. He's going to take over. 
And then everything goes haywire. It interrupts his life plan, and you've experienced the same thing. You're probably not living the life you thought one day that you would live. You're probably not. And at some point we learn, often painfully, often, often in a frustrating way, that God doesn't operate on, on our timetable. At 17 years old, Joseph was the favored son. He receives this coat, receives dreams, and also at 17 he's sold into slavery. From age 17 to age 28, he's a slave and then later put into prison for something he didn't do. Somewhere around age 28, Pharaoh has a bad day and sends two of his people, his servants, to prison. Joseph meets them there. They each have dreams. Joseph, on the authority of God, interprets those dreams, tells these guys what they mean, and he says, hey, if you don't mind, get me out of here. And from age 28 to 30, they forget about him. And he sits rotting in prison. And then, at age 30, Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh himself. And he's elevated to the prime minister position in the land of Egypt. And so he is essentially the guy running everything. And from age 30 to age 37, his dreams that God gave him are realized. How long did it take from the time when he first had the dream until the end of the realization? 20 years. 20 years he waited on God to see what he thought God had promised him all along, to see God's plan for his life unfold for 20 years. It didn't always go the way that Joseph wanted it to go. There were delays after delays after delays, but he waited and didn't give up. I'm bad if I wait in traffic for more than a couple seconds when the guy in front of me doesn't realize the light's green. Dude, what are you looking at? You know, like, come on, man. I got places to go. It's tough when when God seems to delay, isn't it? Joseph was learning that delays are not an accident by God but part of his intentional plan for us. Part of his will for our lives. It's through delays, through the waiting, that we learn to trust, that we learn to live faithfully, that we learn to endure. I think that's why God includes delays, is to teach us those things. So Joseph learned dependence, and we are too. Joseph learned that sometimes there is a delay on purpose by God so that we'll learn to trust Him, learn to be faithful when things aren't going our way. And it's because of that that we are not stunted, but we experience development in our faith. Turn over to Genesis chapter 50. We started in 37. That's the beginning of Joseph's story. I told you we're going all the way through chapter 50. So here we are. Promise kept. Chapter 50, verse 15. Joseph's development, I think, is shown most in his relationship with his brothers later in life after his father dies. Look in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the wrong we caused him. <laughs> I mean, the picture of these guys in the room, like, oh, oh, boy. Dad, why'd you have to die? Seriously. Because now, man, if he wants to, Joseph is prime minister, he can take it out on us. 
So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin. The wrong they called you. He didn't say any of that stuff. Come on. They're begging him. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. They weren't servants of the God of his father. They're scared to death. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him. Bowed down, listen, bowed down before him. You see the dreams realized? And said, we are your slaves. Do you see, I mean, do you see the irony? We don't have time to go into it all. Good grief. But Joseph said to them, you bunch of, oh man, I tell you. You got it coming. I'm going to really devise your exit strategy right now. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Where once there might have been pride, there is now humility. Am I in the place of God? Where once there was tattling, now there's forgiveness. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And where once there might have been selfishness, now there is generosity. I will take care of you and your little ones. Here is a man, no matter his position, whose life, whose will is submitted to God's will. And it was through the crushing... Through the time from age 17 to age 30, then from 30 to 37, he waits to see what God is doing. It's through that that God developed him into someone who was mature and Christ-like. And Joseph gives, I think, the perfect Old Testament picture of what Jesus was later like. When he says on the cross, Father, what? Forgive them. Joseph, a preview of the love and the grace of Jesus here at the end of his life. Or at the end of this story, anyway. And he's also a great example for us to follow. Jesus, it is told to us in Philippians chapter 2, left heaven, he humbled himself, he gave himself up for us. We're told to take on that same mindset, to yield to God's will. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Lord, not my will, but yours be done this morning. I wonder what it is you need to say to the Lord and say, Lord, not your will, or not my will, Lord, but yours be done. I read a quote from C.S. Lewis this week, and it was something to the effect of this. It said, you know, in the end, there are just two types of people. Those who always say to the Lord, my will be done. And those to whom the Lord says, okay, your will be done. I wonder today if we would say, Lord, thy will be done. Maybe you're experiencing the delay. You don't understand what's going on. You'd say, Lord, thy will be done. In my life, in my faith, how is it this morning that you need to surrender, to yield, to submit your life to the Lord? Let's pray together.